the kind of tropes of masculinity that I think he has aren't necessarily aesthetically or in terms of like anger, but they are in the fact that he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not like an open book. He doesn't really talk about himself that much. He doesn't talk about his feelings, that type of thing. So it, it does make it slightly difficult in terms of opening up because like in my head, even now, sometimes I think, oh, if I'm going to tell my parents something about myself in my head, I would immediately go to my mum first rather than dad and then kind of ask her to tell him. Welcome back to Daddy Issues podcast with Harrod George Carey. Daddy Issues is a podcast exploring fatherlessness, but more specifically, fatherlessness in successful people. I want to prove that regardless of whatever daddy issues you think you have, you can achieve anything you put your mind to. Fatherlessness affects so many of us, so it's time to start listening to each other's stories and opening up this conversation as one that needs to be recognised, heard and confronted. If you like what you hear, please do feel free to rate, review and subscribe, because not only do we love hearing all your feedback, but it gets the podcast to more ears. And the more ears, the merrier. So thank you so much. I'm going to let you get on with the episode now. And I hope you have a wonderful listen. I'm thrilled to announce that Daddy Issues Podcast and Oni have collaborated. So Oni is a community-first brand providing a range of organic period products designed to help you manage your entire cycle. So I say this having learnt startlingly recently how we who do have a uterus know so little about our cycle and were taught so little about our cycle throughout our education. Our menstrual cycle, not to go too into detail, really does affect us every single day differently. I was so excited to come across Oni because they're a platform who really understand this and have therefore created products in order to help us function as best we can for every day and not just the days where we are experiencing our monthly bleed. Oni period products are all 100% organic cotton, meaning that you don't have to worry about any nasty chemicals going places where they shouldn't. But being somebody who suffers badly from cramps and PMS and just general hormonal changes throughout the month, the main excitement for me is the selection of vegan CBD oils and medicinal concoctions that they sell from their site, which work together to combat cramps, muscle spasms, and for the days where your hormones feel a bit off kilter. To top all of this off and to make it wonderfully Gen Z, they're also vegan, cruelty-free and are working to un-F-U-C-K the planet with every single box that you'll be sent in the post. On the show notes of this episode, you will find a link that leads you to be able to claim your first free box on only period products as well as some other exciting and life-changing hormonal delights. today's episode, I am speaking to Jamie Windust. Jamie is an award-winning editor, writer, speaker, model and activist. They are an invincible voice for change within the fashion and beauty industries and have modelled for Gucci Love magazine and D.B. Burden. Their magazine Fruitcake was the 2018 winner at the Graduate Fashion Week in London and has been sold in countries all over the world. Alongside this, Jamie has recently released their debut book with Jessica Kingsley, which is so incredibly exciting, and we touch on more about this and their book in the episode. 
Jamie has written for national publications such as Metro UK, The Independent and Gay Times and in December 2019 spoke incredibly beautifully at the second TEDx London Women's Event at the Queen Elizabeth Hall. A very important talk to listen to where the link will be in the show notes of this episode so please please do go and have a watch. Jamie is just phenomenal and so incredibly inspiring and I cannot wait for you to hear this episode. Enjoy. So if you just want to take us back to the beginning and sort of where you grew up and your family dynamic. Great question. Thank you. Very apt for the podcast. (laughs) Um, So I am 23 now. Mm -hmm. So I was born the year that the late great Diana died. Just for reference, if anyone needs a timestamp. Oh my um, god, you did! I remember that. Sorry, that's I'm not going to. So I grew up in Dorset, in the county town of Dorchester, which is southwest of the UK. Very rural, cosy, bunting in the streets kind of energy. <laughs> um, family dynamic is now. You might say it's an interesting one for me to be on the podcast mm-hmm. because I. I'm notoriously awful at understanding families. Like, I've only just learned what a cousin is. Because I'm so dense when it comes to things like that. So I have two sets of brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. But they're both from my parents' previous relationships. Okay. Which I believe is half. Yes. There we go. It's only taken me 23 years. (laughs) But so yeah, so I have one half brother and sister mm-hmm. from my dad's side, one half brother and sister from my mum's side. They broke up with mm-hmm. their respective partners, conjoined, and then made me as the pure child. <laughs> as the pure breed. Absolutely. And is, so you must be the youngest. I am the youngest, yes. Yeah. So all of my siblings are, so there's one set of brother and sister that are about five or six years older than me. Mm-hmm. And then the other ones are like, 10, 12 years older than me. Okay. Are those dads, the slightly older ones? Yeah. Dads are older. Mums mm. are more my age. So I grew up with them in the house. Okay. So we all grew up as a, me and the mum's children. Mm-hmm. Dad's children were old enough to have flown the nest. Yes. So I was, uh, I mean, I didn't know this for quite a long time. When I was writing the book, I had to ask my parents multiple times. I was like, what's, what actually went on back in the day? Because I don't actually know. Who are these people that I'm living with? <laughs> and then they told me, and I was like, right, okay. I've only just realised that I've got an uncle. I know, so hang on. Can you elaborate a bit more about how you've just understood what a cousin is? Well, it's because I don't actually have any. Well, well, I didn't think I had any. <laughs> because my mum's an only child. Mm-hmm. And I thought my dad was until very recently. Interesting. I found out that he wasn't. He just doesn't speak to his brother. So I just never knew about him. Went on the Facebook. Don't the Facebook. Heard, don't know if you've heard of it. Um, found his brother and then his brother's children. And then I realised what a cousin is. Because one of them had slid in the DMs and had been like, can't believe we're related. And I was like, who the hell is this? <laughs> who the hell is this sliding in trying to take a take a percentage of the fortune? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, how fascinating. Wild. So did you then, is this all, because obviously your book, which I would have mentioned in the intro, 
which has actually now recently just come out. Indeed. And how's that been? Purchasable. Um, <laughs> stressful, confusing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Normally, it's weird because when you when I normally in projects, I work with lots of other people. Mm-hmm. So I'm like a group project. I'll be like announced as something in it with lots of other people. Whereas this is obviously just me. So it's, it feels a bit lonely mm-hmm. and isolating, but it's done all right. It's done pretty good. Great. Because it's only come out this month, hasn't it? October 2020. Indeed, yeah. Mm. And um, bestseller on day one. Stop it. So I'll take that. Stop it. I will take that. Oh my God, congrats. Thanks very much. That's incredible. Thanks to my mum for ordering (laughs) 50,000 coffees (laughs) to get it over the line. Um, Yeah, no, it's been good. Because the family chapter for me was the hardest to write because I've never spoken about my family. And I was very cautious to not defame them mm-hmm. in any way um and actually that was the most interesting one and i can't say i actually can't say for legal reasons wow but there's a lot in that chapter that is not true no wrong words there's a lot in that chapter that is true but has been changed for publication purposes faction yes as in like names names places people because to protect identities indeed and because lawsuits are being thrown left right and center stop it from inside the family i don't care to share and this is fascinating Mm. gosh quite serendipitous because i've been told i'm not allowed to say that but i really want we can delete that i really want to i love i love the drama (laughs) i'd love to go to court but with so the so your bro- your dad has a brother who they don't speak to, mm. and you only recently found that because you started writing this book. Am I correct? Yes. And then when the kind of book, when I was talking about the book online and people, you know, it was getting a bit of buzz. I got a message from my cousin, who is also actually non-binary. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Gosh, that's fascinating, isn't it? I was like, God, what are the odds? Um, and they were like, Oh. We're related. And I thought it was just some random person being like, haha, we're related. So I was like, what? Yeah. Looked into their social media and realized we actually fully were. Wow. Wait, is it a cousin? Rewind. Cousin. So, so it's my brother's, no. <laughs> my dad's brother's children's children. Second cousin. Second cousin. Okay, cool. Second cousin. Yeah. So your dad's, your actual cousin is probably a bit, quite a bit older than I'm guessing. Yeah. Gosh, so you're, you must be a real kind of like role model for your second cousin. Apparently so. And did they know that when, did they sort of follow you in your work previous to finding this out? I don't think so. I think in their message they were like, I've just found you. I can't believe you do this. Wow. Like, this is your life and work. And I'm also non-binary and we're related. And I was like, um... Oh my God, you should collab. Yeah, I was like... <laughs> Cousin collab. Honestly, I was like, this is rogue. I was like, what a, what a plot twist to 2020. Nothing is off the cards now. <laughs> Nothing. Do you know what I mean? What's next? Yeah. <laughs> oh, who knows? But with... um. Okay, so I didn't even know about your family chapter in your book, which is fascinating. Mm. So having done that... Um, you must now know obviously so much more, 
But within your immediate family, so let's think of your mum, dad, and then you, I guess. Yeah. What's your relationship like with them? Or what was your relationship like with them growing up? Growing up, it was really interesting because we were close when I was like before my teenage years. Mm. So when I was like younger, we had kind of a fairly traditional dynamic, no real drama. I was obviously different to uh, the majority of my siblings um, in my interests and in kind of just the way that I was. I was quite feminine. I was quite kind of, you know, I did dance and my parents tried to push me into kind of like, oh, what about football or what about this? And I was just kind of Mm -hmm. like, no, I'm going to twirl around over here. Um, (laughs) So we had an okay relationship. And then when I went to, when I kind of was a teenager, I think, and I still have this now, I, I inherited this like very stubborn nature and I was very forthright and very kind of independent and I kind of looking back now I realized that I really ostracized myself from my whole family but for no real reason um other than I was just like being a teenager Mm. so I was kind of like spending a lot of time on my own in my room I would like just not see them all the time I would just go out and about and do my own thing and then whenever they'd be like what are you doing I'd be like fuck off you know what I mean like all that type of stuff <laughs> yeah um which really looking back now it really grew put distance in mm. and then it's only really now in the past kind of 18 months or so that we've because we've we've always been close but in the past 18 months we've really kind of I think reached a new level of closeness where we've yes. been able to be a lot more open about stuff and do you think you writing this book helped that because you had a reason to ask questions and to kind of rebond. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of my work over the past 18 months has been very um, exposing of me. And it's mm. in a good way, but in, in a, you know, my work is quite vulnerable and it's quite personal. So I think there was only, the option was either I could do this work and I don't talk to my parents about what I'm talking about, or I actually include them in the conversation and make sure that they know what I'm talking about, they understand what I'm talking about, so that we can have a closer relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's really, it has, it has pushed us closer together. Mm, There's still a bit of distance, but it's, we're definitely a lot closer now. Yeah. And do you think when you were a teenager, the sort of, I mean, there is the classic sort of hormonal teenage experience of just kind, you know, finding your parents irritating, annoying, and wanting to kind of ostracize yourself from them mm. and create your own identity. Because I think for so long, we all have been, you know, given identities from our parents, our peers, our teachers, and often there's a reaction to that at some point where it's like, that's not me, this is me. Yeah. Um, which you must have had, especially having felt different mm. in the way that you say. But do you think that your difference, because you felt different already in, in how potentially where your parents were trying to push you, do you think you then, that kind of enhanced your sort of conscious but unconscious ostracization? Mm. Because it was like, well, if you're going to try and make me into someone I'm not, I'm just going to, it's your way of like detaching. Yeah, definitely. And I still have that now with people with, in work or in friendships. If if I see that someone's trying to, uh, you know, give unsolicited advice or, or opinions and like, oh, maybe you should do this. I'm very like much of the persuasion where I would just be mm. like, 
absolutely not goodbye i'm gonna run over here and not talk to you again yeah um, but that's interesting because that must be a, a trigger for you when someone's like do this yeah i'm very i think you know as a self-employed person as as a very independent person i it takes us it takes a certain type of person to allow me to feel really comfortable working with mm. and being able to open up to because i'm used to just doing a lot of that on my own mm-hmm. um and i don't see that as a bad thing but i think yeah, when I was younger and they were, they weren't being super pushy. I think they were just being protective. They yeah. didn't want me to get bullied. They didn't want me to kind of, um, it, their kind of persuasion for me to do other things didn't come from, you shouldn't do this because no other people are doing this. It was, we want you to just like be safe in your environment and maybe, you know, we want you to be happy, but uh, we understand how difficult the world can be sometimes. Uh which I guess looking back was quite sweet, I guess. Yeah. Not wanting someone to be bullied or not wanting someone to be different in the world, in the eyes of society, which makes them vulnerable within that situation. Yeah. And so that protection kind of like almost condoning this sort of systemic belief mm. rather than actually being on side. Yeah. Which is where you need them. Yeah. Oh, there are so many questions I want to ask. <laughs> <laughs> so when your parents would out of protection as we've established and out of a kind of like potential fear for you and and your place in the world how would you react to this as a child Mm. so when I was younger I would be very I was actually very naughty not like burning down hard to believe I know not (laughs) not like slapping people on the street but like (laughs) I like in the in the home environment I would be very naughty which I do feel quite bad about now because I, thinking back on it, I was actually quite a, quite a piece of shit. Um, actually, sometimes <laughs> um, there's one memory that I always remember is when I used to have all of my mum used to keep all of my like school certificates for like Jamie did well in English today, um, and she'd like keep them all, <laughs> and I used to put them on the wall because I'd be I during kind of school I was very quiet, very very shy, very academic. Mm. and then as soon as I kind of was a teenager that shifted and I became quite uh not boisterous but I was quite like my care for being prim and proper kind of left um and there was one day where we'd had an argument and I just went back and I ripped up all of my certificates because I knew that she wanted to keep them for like memories and I just literally ripped them all up Mm. And I was like, why have I done that? What weird do? <laughs> Does that mean? Yeah. Like it's slightly sociopathic. No, but that's, you, it's, oh, it's, I feel so much for that, Jamie, because yeah. there's, you're so, there's so much hurt and, and frustration and actually maybe even rage as a teenager when yeah. you don't feel understood, be that in the classroom or at home or both. Mm. And did you, did you have some of that feeling? definitely and I think my like my geographical location didn't help because you know it's a small town very kind of boring mentality do you know what I mean there's no kind of diversity there there was no uh breadth of creativity and I think as well I didn't at that point in time I knew that I was different in terms of sexuality but gender wise I didn't have access to at that point, I didn't have access to knowledge or access to language that I knew how to identify myself. 
So it's quite, it was, that was very frustrating because I was like, I feel different, but I don't know how to contextualize this or identify this within myself. So I think you're right. I, that kind of, it then expressed itself as, as just rage and me mm. being slightly bizarre. Yeah, but coming <laughs> from a place of confusion and actually a lot of pain. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And I think I used to find a lot of comfort in that isolation time that I would take out. Um, I remember I used to have a paper round, mm. clang, um, <laughs> don't mind telling you. And I, it's been my favorite thing because I used to just go around on my own. I'd go to the corner shop and I would, I used to, I still do, but I used to, there was a time where I used to really find comfort in food. Like food used to be my thing. So mm. I'd go to the corner shop and I'd buy like a family sized cake, <laughs> a bottle of Vimto and a bar of Galaxy every day oh i love galaxy right like a proper meaty bar and then i'd go back to my bedroom with the telly with four channels and not speak to anyone and just eat it and the whole thing the next day i do the exact same stop which looking back my life's not changed that much <laughs> i still do the exact same thing um but did you were you quite large because you're very slim i do you know what there was a period of time where i was my weight definitely changed so I wasn't, I don't know, there was, yeah, there was a period of time where I was like very aware that my relationship with food was uh, interesting, shall we mm. say, mm. that I still acknowledge now and I still do it now. Like, for example, if I've had a stressful day, I'll be like, I'm going to go out for dinner mm. and order loads of food. Yeah. Um, But... Yeah, it's weird. It's weird, isn't it? Because you find solace in things like that. Even though you, looking back now, I'm like, well, I had a support system downstairs, literally in the living room. Mm. But I pushed them away and found solace in a bar of galaxy instead. <laughs> <laughs> this bar of galaxy understands me better. Yeah, than my mum. <laughs> my mum. <laughs> Which is really <laughs> weird. But at the time, that's what I did. No, but I do think that's, again, really sort of a normal way to react as a teenager or an adult. Because you're you don't have to answer to, to be honest to food you're you're not there's a sort of you're not in control of it but you are in control of it yeah. there's that kind of thing and and I think it can go you know when you feel maybe slightly out of control anyway to do with your environment and your life um it goes one you can go one way or the other with food yeah you can restrict for control reasons or you can sort of over overeat and have that short-term validation yeah and sense of like excitement and enjoyment mm -hmm. but it's a bit like social media where as soon as it's done and you've had that little high you actually mm. feel worse yeah. than you did before you just do it again the next day you just do it again yeah <laughs> awful um so you of course identify as queer non-binary and trans mm -hmm. and living within the constraints of your environment and as you touched on like not knowing how to even contextualize or locate this feeling mm. and this understanding of yourself, which you couldn't find any identity out there to, to sort of make sense to you. Yeah. How did you eventually find that and work out and find that resonance mm. with, with the sort of queer non-binary trans world in inverted commas? Yeah. I think for me it was, so when I was like between 16 and 18, my turning point and what I describe in the book as like the key in lock was fashion mm. and at that point I 
was in a school that then had a sick form added on the side. So it was like the same people who didn't have to move location, but the difference was well, we were allowed to wear our own clothes. Mm. And so that was kind of my first, I guess, access to language. You know, to me at that time, fashion was my language to express myself. And then I really put all the pieces together when I moved away. So I left Dorset at 18, moved to London for university and... I'd started putting the pieces together, but then when I moved to London and social media and people and there's more access to lots of different spaces and environments, I realized that actually there's so much more to me than I thought there was. Mm -hmm. And it's actually quite nice. Often, you know, it's quite a privileged time for me because I was able to just be away from home, sit with my identity, really think it out and not have that much pressure from people. Um... And just figure figure things out. And it was quite nice. But then obviously that led to uh, a situation where I felt, I found my identity and I felt very comfortable in it. But then I was aware that lots of people around me didn't know that yet. You know, my family back home didn't know that yet. My friends didn't know that yet. So I just kind of lived as non-binary. Not in secret, but almost, I just like didn't tell anyone for a mm-hmm. bit. Because I was like, this is really fine. I'm just going to you know give it a bit of a test drive yeah a probation period (laughs) see if it fits um and it did and then I started telling people I didn't tell my parents for about a year really but I was really arrogant and like would talk about it on social media but then I Mm. never actually sat down with them and was like this is what this means yeah um until a long time after and so that time after do you mind taking us to that moment yeah I mean I'm still not a fan of the kind of traditional, you know, like sitting down on the edge of the bed, like crying spiel. Um, so I was never, I'd never do that. But I kind of, my way of doing it, and it's so disgustingly millennial, was to like unblock my mum. On Instagram. On Instagram. <laughs> I love that you blocked her. <laughs> Sorry, she probably had no idea. She was like. Yeah. You don't post anything on Instagram. I don't know why you're always talking about it. Right. Yeah, she was like, what are you on about? And then I unblocked her and then she could read it all. And she would literally message me like, unblock me, unblock me. So I did. And then she could read it all. And then I was like, actually, do you know what? This is quite nice because she can go away, read all of this. It's essentially the same as me sitting down and talking to her. Mm-hmm. And then if she has any questions, I'm now opening it up for her to, to come to me with those questions. Which worked in a way, but I think it still didn't fully work because I still had kind of barriers there with being super open with her. You know, I couldn't just sit down and tell her for some reason. I had to be like, look at my Instagram. <laughs> like a weirdo. Um, no, but that may, I think that's actually, as you say, like quite a, a really good way to let someone kind of take in actually way more information than you can maybe provide them face to face. Because you aren't necessarily speaking to them in that moment anyway. So there's mm. more. And on top of that, they don't have to absorb and react to it there and then. They can have that moment to to sit with it, to understand it better, to to find a way to, to engage with you in a way that's going to, or whoever it is, in a way that's going to be most beneficial for both of you so that you both understand. Yeah like what's going on regardless of whatever situation it is that someone needs to explain to their parents or to someone yeah because it's not always easy 
to mm. do that. I think, you know, there's lots of family setups where it's just the thought of sitting down with your parents is just it doesn't work. it's not it doesn't work. You know. For me, it it did work. I just didn't think it would. But for some people it like genuinely would be unsafe or it would be you know, they just can't do that. So that worked for a bit and then kind of over the years, even up to like now, we've just gradually with my parents just broken down those barriers and now we have a lot of open conversations about mental health, identity, that type of thing. Amazing. And it's it's nice. There's still there's still education for them to go through and they're still learning, but because now there's an open dialogue, it's easier for both parties. Yeah. The bridge has been built kind of thing. Yeah. I'm no longer <laughs> trying to burn it down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so since this podcast is support, well, we always talk about, you know, every parent and family dynamic if it's relevant, but yeah. specifically honing in on fathers. Mm. Your relationship to your father growing up and I guess the sort of notion of masculinity, how was that for you? And do you think that because being born essentially in society's eyes as the gender of a boy Mm. how was that for you maybe different to say your mother Mm. in coming to terms with your identity within that relationship with your father my dad is very um bless him he is not the most outgoing person so that's a nice way to say it um he also has a very vastly different job to me literally a job that if you looked on like a scales he would be the antithesis of my job and he's 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 a bin man the the kind of tropes of masculinity that I think he has aren't necessarily aesthetically or in terms of like anger but they are in the fact that he doesn't he doesn't he's not like an open book he doesn't really talk about himself that much. He doesn't talk about his feelings, that type of thing. So it did, it does make it slightly difficult in terms of opening up because like in my head, even now, sometimes I think, oh, if I'm going to tell my parents something about myself, in my head, I would immediately go to my mum first mm. rather than dad and then kind of ask her to tell him, um, which which works for me. And we do, we do have a more open dialogue now. He was the kind of one that, took a lot longer to get on board with the non-binary thing. Not because he doesn't, un- well, no, he doesn't understand it, but because, not because he's like anti it. He's just a man. You know, men often don't reevaluate their learnings or think mm-hmm. that they can learn more. They think that they know everything. Yeah. Which is untrue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that is actually so true. Yeah. Whereas women are more, you know, stereotypically open to changing yeah. A thought or people who aren't sort of men in a virtual commas. Yeah. Yeah, because I think men often think if there's something to, to know, I'll already know it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, bless him. He, he, he does, he, he's working hard. On paper, you know, he is a bit of a Piers Morgan. like he does he he, you know a lot of his political views a lot of his social issue views are again the antithesis of mine right which is a struggle Mm. if i'm honest however with with the trans stuff 
I can tell that he's trying to get somewhere with it. So I kind of, I've got to a point now where I don't talk to him about it and I just let him get better with it. Mm. If he has any questions, he know he can ask me, but he needs to work on that himself, I think. It's yeah. not, I've, I've, I've spent too long trying to do that with lots of other people. Um, so he can just get studying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but with that, because even though having watched your TEDx talk which was incredible and everyone needs to watch that which again i'll actually put the link in the show notes um and also it would have been mentioned in the intro but with um because i know from watching that that ideally in your work as a journalist and um i was about to say as an influencer but would you call yourself an influencer i mean some some might (laughs) yeah some might i mean i do the odd (laughs) Well, no, I do quite a lot of Instagram work. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, a, you, can, you can call me that. I'm not yeah. offended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that you don't really want to have to even be talking about trans issues. Mm. Because this is something that, you know, you somewhat feel you have to do, obviously, because there's so much work to do there. Yeah. But ideally, you just wouldn't have to talk about it. Um, but because that is a lot to do with your work... And you are very successful in it. And at such a young age, you know, you've really kind of, like when you told me you raised the other day, <laughs> that's a fierce party. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, he's depressingly successful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is awful. It is, I, I, I hate, I what? hate telling people my age because it just immediately makes me sound smug. No, it doesn't. Because you're so unsmug. So, like, <laughs> do you think? Yeah, you're oh, so chill. I'll take that. Um, <laughs> but with because that's such a huge part of your work. Obviously, the identity that you had to, you've always been and had, but you've had to also find it. And then on top of that, it's but you're also doing really well with it, and you're very much like, you know, a kind of um, what's the word when someone's like they're out there doing it for others almost as well like, kind of like a spokesperson but spoke- i don't i don't subscribe to that but i don't I know what you mean like a figure exactly like a figure. like a figure for trans queer non-binary community yeah how does your has your dad ever mentioned your work and do you think he's sort of proud of what you're doing i'd love to sort of go there and see what you think about that he does he, he's very funny because he doesn't um, he does talk to me about my work, but he, I think it's a generational thing. A lot of it he doesn't understand mm. because a lot of it is social media driven or a lot of it is in the media or digital. You know, there's just a generational gap. You know, if you take identity out of it, he just doesn't really understand freelance work. Right, yeah. Fine. He does, <laughs> although he does now, he makes a very concerted effort to like let me know that he's proud of me because he's, I think he's aware He's quite hard on himself, but I think he's aware that he doesn't say it all the time. Mm-hmm. So, like, for example, he rang me last week to say that he's, he started reading the book and he was, like, really proud of me. And he uh, there was a lot that he didn't know, again, going back to how I didn't speak to my family at that point, really, that there was a lot that he didn't know that I went through when I was younger. Mm-hmm. That he was like, I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of you. So he is making a lot more of an effort, um, which I do appreciate. Um but I think me as a person, I never really believe when people say that to me anyway. It could be anyone. I'd be like, bollocks. Really? Yeah. Where do you think that sort of pessimism comes from? Um, 
I think I am very, I am very hard on myself as a person in all aspects, but predominantly work. I'm very, you know, for example, with the book, it went to number one on the trans chart in the first mm. day, but I was still like, yeah, but you know, it's not. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm very. You always feel like you could do better. You could do better. Yeah, and mm. it's, I think that is just the self-employed curse almost. Definitely. Um, and. I am very strict on myself. However, you know, when you have people like my dad saying things like that, it's, it's, it's again, uh, an example of his growth. A long time ago, he wouldn't have, he didn't understand things. There was a lot that he didn't quite, couldn't wrap his head around. So it is progress. Yeah. Yes. It's nice. Yeah. And progress is key, I feel. Yeah. yeah. I'll just let him take his time. Yeah, exactly. Go on. So how would you describe, well... This is a big, probably quite a vast question, but your mental health journey, because I know you've been open about your mental health mm. and I guess how also did you, do you think maybe during that time also you didn't speak to your family that your relationship with your family also impacted your mental well-being? Yeah, I think I've only really, again, it's that kind of access to language thing. Whereas when I was younger, I obviously had quite a lot of mental health problems or situations that I needed to deal with, but I didn't have the access to language to know what they were. So I just kind of always felt quite angry or quite stressed. Whereas now I have a lot more access to, as we all do, you know, of resources to help tips and tricks on kind of like what to know what's going on and to also be able to feel comfortable vocalizing it. Mm. So I think... Because now I'm in a space where I'm able to share that with my family. And I do, we have a lot more open, especially after kind of this year, with everything that's gone on, we've been able to just like be a lot more open. Yeah. Which is nice because we, I, you know, I never thought I'd get to that point. I always thought it, there, there would still be quite a distance between us. Um, so it has, it has helped, but you know, Equally, if I'm honest with them about my mental health, they're also honest with me about theirs, mm. which is nice because it's it creates that dynamic of yeah that dialogue cohesion. yeah where mental health isn't even you know a taboo within a situation yeah mm. but with your mental health growing up was that a obviously within yourself it was a confusion and it was a kind of grievance of of not understanding where you sat or where you could place yourself because identity is so key for mental health. It's mm. so linked. Mm -hmm. um, but was that also a consequence of how people were treating you in society or perhaps at school? Yeah, definitely. I think I would feel my lowest because I would receive, you know, I was bullied very heavily at school. I had a lot of prejudice from people within my town that didn't understand who I was because I looked different or I appeared different to them and I think because I didn't necessarily fully understand myself at that point and the fact that I was receiving just kind of lots of negative attention it just came out as anger mm. and it also just came my mental health that came out as anger and wanting to control things so I would have a lot of a lot of yeah a lot of stressful energy that I didn't know what to deal with because I was again like I said I was in that state where I didn't talk to my parents about it. I didn't really talk to anyone else about it. And then this was a time when like Twitter and Instagram were becoming a thing. Mm. And that's when I started using social media to be like, this is how I feel. 
don't know why else I feel like this. And then I found my people. Wow. And that's literally how my Instagram started. I used to use it as like a diary. Yeah. Um, like a blog. Yeah, basically. I'd be like, hi, spider another galaxy. <laughs> Jamie here. Yeah. <laughs> How's it going? XOXO. Yeah, fully that. Fully that. Um, and it's proper cringe to look back on. But yeah, it was, it was, and even writing the, the book, you know, looking back on that time, it was, I don't think I give myself enough credit for actually how difficult it was. Yeah. Because I, I wrote about coming out in it and I say that because at school I hadn't fully figured myself out, but other people made presumptions about me. They essentially came out for me. So before I'd even discovered mm. what my identity was, people were, you know, calling me gay or calling me all the slurs so I was like oh maybe I am xyz and I didn't actually get a chance to come to terms with it because yeah. people were throwing it at me yeah and that's what I was saying earlier how you're always given your identity by those around you yeah and it's such a it's just I think it's so dangerous yeah to give someone an identity but then at the same time obviously I don't know there's like a is it also helpful sometimes when someone's like saying oh, but you're like this it's fine I don't know do you know what I mean is that sometimes because I think there's a lot of a lot of a lot of that stress behind finding out your identity is that you're worried about what the reaction will be like from other people mm-hmm. so if someone if it comes in a nice manner if someone comes to you and they're like oh are you gay or are you queer part yeah there's a part kind of relax relaxation because you're like oh okay this person might be fine with it yeah um, however, I do think it is still kind of majoritarily negative. Yes. Because it's like, <laughs> I don't know you, stop telling me who I am. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Go away. <laughs> Fuck off. The book is about me and being non-binary. So I think that's a, I kind of wrote the book to be like, this is all I want to say. If you need to ask me or you want to learn anything else about this, go like use it as the book as a reference point. Yeah. Because now I'm in a space career-wise where I'm doing a lot more things for fun. I think representation is important. And also you can tell trans stories without me having to sit or write or speak publicly in quite an emotional way. I can showcase being trans in more different ways. Like um, I've just released a series with Ai Wei and Jamila yes, Jamil. Yes, yes. Which love. is called In Their Shoes and it is... That is the that is the whole reason why me and the wonderful Sophia Jennings mm-hmm. shout out to Sophia shout out to Sophia <laughs> created the show because I was like I want to make a show that is fun it has interesting stories in it but it's not just about everyone's identities it's about mm-hmm. just like having a laugh and if we have those conversations they come up but it's not emotion too emotionally taxing for everyone so I think now moving forward I will always talk about those issues trans issues queer issues. But I would not be expected to. I would do it if yes. I want to. Yes. And I have lots of dreams and career aspirations that I actually want to do that I don't think should be hindered because people expect me to talk about trans rights all the time. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I do. Because like, I will. Do you know what I mean? I, I naturally will. It's part. It's in my body. It's in my blood. Yeah. I do that. But I also like to have a laugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I know. And I think that's fine. I know. I had that same like fear with talking about dads all the time and like fathersness. I was like, I can be funny. I promise. Yeah. Um. So my final question uh-huh. that I ask everyone is, if your dad was listening to this episode right now, what would you want to say to him? Hi, Chris. How's it going? <laughs> um. Name drop. 
<laughs> I would say thank you for being brilliant. I know you try your hardest. Um, and don't be too hard on yourself. I understand that we all have learning to do, but I appreciate everything that you do. It might take you a lot slower than the rest of the nation, but um, keep on collecting those bins. <laughs> and I'll see you at Christmas. <laughs> And where can everyone find your book? And where can everyone find you and your book? So on all socials, I am Jamie underscore Windust. And the book is called In Their Shoes. And it is available at all good bookstores and online. <laughs> and the series is on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Jamila Jamil. And you can find my face floating around there for the next six weeks. Yay. Oh, thank you so much, Jamie. Thank you, my love. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with the incredible Jamie Windust. I am completely obsessed with them. As you could probably tell, I slightly giggled my way throughout that whole episode because Jamie just has an aura of just likability and charm and charisma that got me a bit excited. And so my giggling just took on a whole new level. But I am just... Yeah, again, in awe of my incredible guest and everything that they've achieved and all the obstacles that they have overcome and are channeling in a way which is just for the bettering of the world. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. Jamie, you are amazing and I adore you and happy bloody December to everybody. Hope you got your Christmas tree up and running. And before I leave, just a gentle reminder to go on this episode's show notes in finding the link that will lead you to get your first box of free only goodness, not only to change your relationship to your monthly cycle for the better, but also to make your mark in changing this planet for the better. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on Daddy Issues Podcast. If you've been affected by anything at all in the episode, in the show notes, you will see a number of websites whereby you can seek support on various different platforms, including ex-podcast guest and psychotherapist Julia Samuel's website, Black Minds Matter, Calm and Grief Untangled. Thank you, Warren Borg at Wargie Productions for helping me master and compress all my episodes so they sound that much better. Thank you so much for listening. Please do feel free to get in touch. I love hearing from you. Our email is on the show notes. And please do follow us on Instagram at the Daddy Issues Podcast. Have a lovely rest of your day or night.